Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. When it comes to nutrition supplements for women, one brand stands above the rest. It's needed. And here's why. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most demanding times in a woman's life. Your health and your baby's health, both now and for years to come, depend on your nutrition. With thousands of options out there, how do you know which is the best? Over 4,000 practitioners recommend Needed's perinatal and women's health supplements. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from A-quality support for those trying to conceive, to lactation support for breastfeeding moms, and stress and sleep support for all women, including those in perimenopause or menopause stages. Another great supplement I love that they offer for all women, especially those who are pregnant, is omega-3s. I love that these nutrients work synergistically to support optimal egg health and fertility in mama and optimal brain, nerve, and eye in both mama and baby. You deserve to thrive, not just survive. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use code JIPODCAST for an exclusive 20% off your first month of needed products. Danny Massa is a 32-year-old man who was born and raised in the Bronx. Whether he's battling in the ring, grappling in the cage, carrying patients down countless flights of stairs during emergency medical calls, or extinguishing blazing infernos, one truth remains, breath matters. In short, if you can breathe, everything is okay. If you can't, then nothing else matters. This principle has captivated Danny so much that it inspired him to become a certified breath coach. Danny is a certified Wim Hof instructor and group fitness instructor. He is also passionate about the benefits of cold exposure. Welcome everyone back to the show today. Today, I'm actually really excited because our guest, well, he has a lot more that he's going to tell us about than just Survivor, but I saw him on Survivor. My oldest son is a huge Survivor fan and he's super excited I'm interviewing you. And so welcome to the show, Danny. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I, I got to uh, learn your story and so inspiring. And so like for you to ask me to be on, on your show is like such an honor. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I'm excited to talk to you about Survivor, but I do want to talk to you about cold plunge and breath work and all the things that you have studied and learned and you're a pro at. But before we delve into questions, will you just tell my listeners a little bit about you and your background? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Danny Massa. I am from the Bronx, New York. I'm a New York City firefighter. I'm a Wim Hof Method instructor. I'm a certified breath coach under Dr. Belise Branich. And as I like to say, I'm a reality TV megastar. That's awesome. You (laughs) are. (laughs) I was on season 44 of Survivor and I had a blast. I made it to day 21 of 26. Or I could say that I made, I was seventh place, which doesn't sound as impressive. So I like to say day 21. 26 because it puts things in perspective at least yep, it sounds exactly cool to me. <laughs> exactly well and you did an awesome job and it was fun to watch you thank you it was it was such a blast it was like I really feel confident I like squeezed uh, as much adventure juice as I could out of that the beautiful experience so I have no regrets on it oh that's awesome I'm going to come back and ask you about Survivor, but let's start with Cold Plunge. Let's just tell my listeners what Cold Plunge actually is. It's becoming very trendy right now on social media. You see a lot of influencers doing it. So maybe tell them what Cold Plunge is and why so many influencers are now trying it out. Yeah, so a Cold Plunge is just recycling something we've been doing for 
thousands of years, which is using the cold as a therapeutic uh, method to activate our stress response. And stress will find you. I like to say, like, if you don't find hard things, hard things will find you. I mean, hard things will find you either way. But it is activating our stress response and putting us in the driver's seat of stress stimuli. And it's a beautiful way to put yourself under a high stress situation, high stress stimuli, like, oh my God, oh my God, literally convincing your body that you will die because you will die if you stay in a cold plunge for too long. But uh, finding that peace and that like, you know, it sounds cliche, but I, I love it. So it works is like finding comfort in the discomfort. And that's just the, you know, scratching the, the tip of the iceberg because while you're doing this, while you're finding comfort in the discomfort, your body's response to it has a plethora of benefits. Uh, the inflammatory protein found in your body after cold plunging, it works on a scale. So like once you start 59 degrees Fahrenheit or less, uh, as soon as you get in, you start to reduce these inflammatory proteins found in your body. And so on an inflammatory level, inf inflammation is the root of almost every disease that uh, hinders us human beings. So you start to reduce those inflammatory proteins. And as soon as you jump in, you can jump in and get right out or just use a cold shower. That's just a tippy iceberg if you have all the happy hormones. Uh, well, people say happy hormones, but it's actually motivating hormones like dopamine. And you kind of take a hack into the system and it is a uh, inhibitor. It allows dopamine production in a way that is uncommon for us in this modern day world where there's so much access to quick dopamine spikes, but then they come right back down because dopamine is beautiful. And dopamine spikes are beautiful too. Have a piece of chocolate, it's like awesome. But the downside is that if you start at baseline and you have chocolate, you actually will go below. Or, you know, if you use, you know, a type of uh, substance, recreational drugs, you'll get a dopamine spike and then you'll come back, back down and you won't get back to your baseline. But the beautiful part about the cold plunge is that you will go up. Let's say if you do a two minute cold plunge or, you know, two minute cold shower, you're going to go up. As high as 250%, which is oh, what wow. cocaine, cocaine or sex would give you that. And beautiful part is you will not return back to baseline for about four hours and you never go below. And another beautiful part about it is you can do it again tomorrow and you will get the same response. There's no like, ah, oh, chasing that dragon. It's like you own the dragon. Once you, once you can master a cold plunge, it's like you can go ride that dragon whenever you want, whenever you feel like being discomfort for a little bit, uncomfortable for a little bit. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so I have a couple questions. I've tried cold plunge lots of times and it's brutal. You have to get used to it. But is there a certain amount of time, like a minimum amount of time that you need to stay in to really get the benefits? Yes, there is, it, like in for a short answer. But it, you could look at the same time, like you can look at it like you would look at like jogging or getting on an elliptical machine. Mm. And it's like, it's not a one size fits all. And it's like, as soon as you get in, it's beneficial. And for me, especially when I first started, I, I'd box, I'd do mixed martial arts and jujitsu. And so like, uh, when I started trying to cold plunge, I tried my cold plunge adventure when I was about 22 and I was a big, bad mixed martial artist. And I'm going to get and sit in the cold plunge because I'm tough and I'm that mental fortitude. I didn't empower my how with the why. Why am I doing this? I just got in and I used ego. And I feel like attaching time to anything is ego. And ego is not a bad thing. I, I, ego is very necessary for life. But when you attach time to it, it makes it that there could be a fail. Because if mm -hmm. you don't reach that time, you could fail. But there is no fail. Because as soon as you get in and challenge yourself, you've already won. So you can look at it. And if you want the science, it's uh, 11 minutes total for the week in different sessions. Oh. You want to break it up. Oh, okay. But there is no... that you. It might take you two, three years to get to that point where 
you know, you, you can do that consistently where it's not brutal because you don't want it to be brutal. You want it to be very taxing and something that you overcome, overcoming things. Like, I don't want to say if I started running tomorrow, I don't want to run a marathon. Right. That doesn't make running bad. And it doesn't make if you went out and you said, hey, I want to run a mile today, but you ran a half a mile. It's like. That's better than running a quarter or nothing. That makes sense. Well, it is a lot of mind over matter for me is what I feel like. I just have to tell myself, like, I can do this. I can do hard things. I can stay in. But I will tell you, the first time was like only 15 seconds. I was like, nope, I'm done. Then the next time was 30 seconds. And then the next time was a minute, you know, then a minute and a half. It's like practicing it. You do get better, I feel like. It never gets easier, but you get better at doing hard things. And, oh, and, I like and that. Yeah, and, that, and that's what I love. It's like, don't do a time. My recommendation, I would love for you to try this and let me know how it goes. Don't do time, do breaths. I'm pretty hippy-dippy when it comes to like perception of time. Like if you go up into space, time changes. So what even is time? But, you know, that's a rabbit hole we can go down. But time is a perception. Okay. But what isn't a perception is your breathing. Okay. So don't say, I'm going to stay in for two minutes. Say, I'm going to stay in for 30 breaths. Mm. And the beautiful thing about that is, let's say you get in and like, you know, those days where you're firing all cylinders, you got a good night's sleep, your mental fortitude is a skill and, and, and uh, you know, it is endurance, mental endurance. Some days it's stronger than others. So the beautiful part about using the breath, get in, do 30 breaths. If you're like, I need to get out. Cool. Beautiful. Speed up those breaths. <laughs> you can get those breaths done in no time. But what will happen more often than not is you will do the fast breathing. It's also a a natural response to the cold is a gasp, which is why it's so dangerous to fall into ice water because you (gasps) like that. Um, Mm. But so you'll you'll breathe very quickly and you'll get a noradrenaline uh, increase, 530%, and you're going to breathe rapidly, hyperventilate. But after you probably get to like breath 10, you're going to go like, oh, actually, I think I can slow it down a bit. So the first 10 breaths will be rapid and then potentially... You can elongate that and go slow, deep, diaphragmatic breaths for the last 20 or or maybe the last 15 or maybe the last five, or maybe you motor through 30 breaths. But the key for it, at least from from my teaching and my understanding of it, is that it puts you in the driver's seat as opposed to being a victim to the clock. Oh, I love that. That's actually a really good suggestion. Okay, so with these breaths, do I breathe in through my nose and out through my mouth? Or it doesn't matter if I'm breathing in through my mouth and out through my nose? Like, what is the best way? I always try to avoid best. A good way. How about that? Yeah, I I love that. Nasal breathing is always superior than mouth breathing. But when it comes to exhaling, I personally like to go nose throughout because it's easier to breathe into the diaphragm through uh, your nose. And it's easier to, uh, if you take a, a deep breath in and you open up your airway uh, through your mouth, which is, you know, done more for talking than uh, respiration, it's harder to get a deeper breath. And the more volume you can fill your uh, lungs with, the longer you can exhale. Exhale being your door or your gateway to a parasympathetic or rest and digest response. If you, you break it down in our nervous system response, you're always fight or flight or rest and digest. You're always 100% of that. And the scale is up to you. There's only one mechanism to control that response, and that's breathing. There's no other way you can control your response to stress than breathing. If you breathe through your nose, you're capable of maintaining a larger breath. So if you're capable of maintaining a larger inhale, that means you're capable of maintaining a longer 
and larger exhale. And when you can do a longer, larger exhale, that means you can combat this tub or shower, whatever you're doing, it's going to be a sympathetic. The cold is going to be a sympathetic response. And when you can exhale longer, you can down-regulate because the key is to down-regulate to try to find some type of peace or comfort in the discomfort. Okay, that's so good to know. And down-regulating our nervous system is so important these days because so many of us just live in that fight or flight and we rarely down-regulate the nervous system. And if we did, I think inflammation would just not even be the problem that it is today in America, but that stress causes so much inflammation in our bodies. Yes, and it's chronic levels of cortisol that causes that stress. And, uh, you know, people hear cortisol and they're like, stress hormone, bad, bad. And they're right. If you are looking at cortisol on a chronic level, chronic levels of cortisol are inflammatories, but cortisol, acute level spikes of cortisol are anti-inflammatories. They suppress the uh, inflammatory response. And not only that, it's a performance-enhancing chemical. Cortisol allows us uh, to increase our physical output. And when you're choosing deliberate cold exposure, you're spiking your cortisol. But just like many things in life, like if you do you know, all-out sprints, um, you, you'll get better at sprinting. If you uh, do a cortisol sprint, you'll have healthier levels of cortisol and more uh, reduced levels of chronic cortisol throughout the day. And if you use your, your uh, cortisol, is essential for waking up in the morning, he heating our body up. You need to, to heat up to wake up and cool down to go to sleep. And cortisols are, are in, imperative when it comes to uh, that process. And you can use the cold to manipulate that function, uh, which is a, a beautiful little life hack. It's relatively free. <laughs> I'm actually really glad you just said all that because when I talk about cold plunge or cryotherapy, things like that, people will say to me, oh, I've been told not to do it because I'm dealing with whatever due to stress. Like I'm in a stressful life. I'm always stressed. There's chronic cortisol issues. Therefore, I've been told not to do cold plunge. But you're saying that that wouldn't be correct because these are just short little sprints of cortisol, which are actually anti-inflammatory, right? Yeah, absolutely. This short, acute cortisol spikes are indeed healthy. And you practice, especially if you get into breathing with the diaphragm. The diaphragm sounds so boring. So I go in all my classes and all my uh, workshops, I refer to the diaphragm as your stress management muscle. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I'm proud of that little <laughs> the title I gave it. There's no better practice or situation than the cold when you are creating this stress on your body that's ultimately going to give you four hours of feel-good hormones. And uh, when you tap into the breath and find peace, or uh, it, it's really empowering to be, uh, to be the dictator of so much stress is thrown at us that when you put yourself in the driver's seat of it, and then you can actually say like, oh my God, when I first got in there for 10 minutes, when I first did that first 10 seconds of cold shower, like I was overwhelmed. I couldn't even think. All I could think of was getting out. And it really has a lot of parallels to just things in life. We're just like, I have so much on my plate. Me personally, I have a one-month-old and a two-year-old. You're busy. And yeah, yeah. And, and it does feel overwhelming at times. I find so many parallels between those real-life things that get thrown at you and the cold, obviously in a very trivial kind of fun manner. But you are going to be okay. You are going to, you know, to take care of everything you're going to take care of. You're, you're going to fail and you're, you're going to overcome your failures. And you, even though it feels overwhelming, you know, breathe, touch, go within, and you can learn lessons from the cold. Uh, Wim Hof, you know, he uh, says the cold is a powerful, merciless teacher. I, I agree with that. It's a really good point. 
Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so if the listeners are like, okay, I actually want to try this. Sounds cool. I could use the dopamine. I could use that stress relief in my life. They can just do it in a bathtub, right? If they have nothing or even a cold shower. But I always get asked this about a bathtub. One, do they need to be like fully submerged all the way up to their neck? And then two, Mm -hmm. is there a temperature that it should ideally be? Yeah, so you want to get as cold as you can tolerate without feeling as though you are going to hurt or injure yourself. There's only a, a couple elements you can get from the cold. It's hypothermia, frostbite, and then if you want to get into it, it would be a trench foot, which is World War One. Um, but, but it's incredibly difficult to get there via cold plunge, you know, obviously, unless you're going greater than 50 minutes, which I definitely don't recommend to anyone beginning. Anytime you get below 59 degrees, and optimally, it's very difficult to have studies on cold showers because, you know, all water flow is different. Uh, it's different, like, in how large you are, how, how much of your body is covered in water. So all the studies are up to the neck with all the arteries. And that is the most optimal for creating a cold shock protein response, which has a, a plethora of different uh, anti-inflammatory and actually cell uh, recycling and protein synthesis uh, benefits. As much of your body as you can get in, the better. Optimally, up to the neck would be ideal. Let's say you can only get up into your uh, your rib cage or your just your legs. Let's say you can just have two five-gallon buckets and you put both your feet in. You're still getting the cold response. As long as you're not going to a point where you're getting frostbite or hypothermia, you're doing your body an incredible service. And there, there are instances where if you are someone who shouldn't exercise vigorously due to a health condition, it's a stimuli. If a doctor's saying, hey, don't exercise vigorously, you probably, the cold should be a conversation. But if you're not that, it's, it's only going to help you. Yeah, it's uh, incredibly safe. And I truly believe that if there was a way to put a cold plunge into a pill, everybody would take it. Everyone would take it. Dopamine and uh, 250% increase in, in dopamine, a motivating hormone. Dopamine isn't a feel-good hormone. You don't, you won't have dopamine and just feel good. Dopamine makes accomplishing things that are difficult feel better and gives you drive for that. So like, let's say if you're like pushing yourself on a run and you feel that, I'm feeling the burn, that runner's high, mm-hmm. that runner's high would be uh, dopamine. Okay, that's so good to know. So we've talked about the dopamine, we've talked about the stress relief, but cold plunge can be really good for recovery, like sore muscles, right? After running, after working out, things like that. Yeah, so cold plunges have been around forever, especially in like uh, Nordic countries. But now that as a, a science is uh, catching up to, uh, you know, all the, uh, the responses to the cold response, it's actually cold shock proteins that get produced that is uh, the most beneficial towards your recovery because it enhances protein synthesis by uh, staggering. I, I don't have the exact number, but it expedites protein synthesis. So you're, you know, everybody knows proteins recover and allow your muscles to heal up and you, know, you tear your muscles when you're exercising and that way they grow back stronger. And that's through protein synthesis and cold shock proteins just expedite that process uh, on a grand scale. Now you start to compile that with the anti-inflammatory benefits and then the reduction in inflammatory proteins found in in the body. And yeah, your recovery will be night and day. If you run 10 miles and they do cold plunge and then the next week you run 10 miles and you don't, how quickly you'll be able to run 10 miles again will be noticeably higher if you add the cold plunge in. I mean, we've known that NFL players have done this, basketball players, NBA players have done this for years and years and years. And so I love that it's becoming more of a thing that 
the average person can do just in their home as a health benefit. So I think it's awesome. But I do want to ask you one thing about cryotherapy, just because I actually do cryotherapy quite a bit. And so I talk to my listeners about it quite a bit. Yeah, I'm interested on your opinion of cryotherapy and if you think it's beneficial too or it's not as beneficial as cold plunge. I think that if you can do it, like let's say you're somebody who has access to cryotherapy, it's insanely beneficial. Like you're getting that anti-inflammatory response, which is going to allow you to perform better mentally, physically. Does it have all the benefits of the cold plunge? I don't think there's enough studies on both and it's such a difficult thing to like study uh, and people very wildly to the cold and to cryo. Cryotherapy is absolutely uh, incredible. And I would say cryo, I believe, is more of a premature stages of, of the studies as opposed to the cold plunge, which, you know, we have that 11 minutes per week up to the neck, undeniable benefits. But I believe a cryo is incredible. And it's also what cryo is going to do is um, manipulate your white visceral fat. If you look at fat, to speak at layman's terms, not that I'm capable of making it sound much more uh, fancy than what I'm doing now, but look at fat like this. There's white visceral fat that's bad. It's not as bioavailable. It's not as thermogenic. Uh, so it would be the fat that you don't want. So bad fat, we'll call it that for, for to make it easy. And then you have brown adipose tissue, which is brown fat. Uh, and that is good fat. That is thermogenic. Brown fat will make the cold way more tolerable. So let's say you're somebody who's doing cryo to build up, to be able to tolerate the cold shower more, to be able to tolerate the cold plunge more. Any uh, exposure to the cold, even if it's just walking outside in a t-shirt and shorts when it's 40 degrees outside. Thank God, I think that there is like a, a renaissance of holistic ideas. And I think people are really just striving for it and being more and more uh, distrustful of, uh, you know, medicines that make money. And like people want to be in control of their own health. And anytime you expose yourself to the cold, whether it be cryo or outside, just taking a stroll in the park, you're creating more brown adipose tissue and you want more brown adipose tissue. It's easier to burn off. It's easier to lose brown fat. Let's say you have brown fat in the belly. And uh, you can manipulate it yourself by exposing yourself to the cold. My wife is an amazing woman. She's super open-minded and, uh, you know, she's done the cold plunge. I mean, she's Dominican though. So, you know, warm-blooded, you know, they want their, <laughs> yeah. uh, a tropical coast. And, and she's slowly uh, being more accepting of like, I like my daughter in the mornings. We go outside. Now it's starting to get a little chillier in New York. And uh, we sit on the balcony for 10 minutes and uh, get sunlight. And we're both just in shorts. And I'm purposely doing that because I want to expose her to the cold gradually. And any exposure to the cold is going to create brown adipose tissue. And you want to convert your fat from white fat to brown fat. Thank you so much for explaining that about the fat, because I do know people are talking about that lately and it does get confusing. And so you did a great job explaining that. Oh, thank you. So basically it comes down to do cold plunges if you can, do cryotherapy if you can, and if you can't even do any of those, even going outside into the cold, all of them will have some health benefits. And like you said, I'm glad that people are waking up to, oh, I need to take better care of myself. There's no one that's going to take care of me except me. And so I love yeah. that people are learning these things. Can we move on to breath work? Are you okay if we move uh, to that? Yeah, this is, yeah, breath work and, and breathing mechanics. That is my passion. Your passion. I'm passionate about the cold as well. I'm, I'm passionate about the cold. I always tell this to people, like nothing is a one size fits all. If you hate the cold, like you really hate it. Like, like when you get in the cold plunge and you get out and you're like, I don't feel good. 
And that's possible. And anybody who comes and says, my way is the best way. And this, you should do it my way. It's like, be skeptical of that person. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, it's probably, you know, it's someone you should watch out for. Some people hate the cold. The cold does not make them feel good. I would say to that person, don't do the cold. There are other ways to uh, improve yourself. Now, when it comes to breathing, this is one of those rare times where I can say very confidently, there is a right way to breathe in which you can tap into your, your nervous system and be the dictator of your nervous system response. And that's using the diaphragm. And, uh, and I'm truly passionate about that. And I, I think everybody should pay attention to the way they're breathing. It's a superpower. Okay, so let's talk about that then. So are you passionate about this because it can help downregulate the nervous system? And so it can just help people alleviate stress and that inflammation and make people feel better? Is that why you're so passionate about it? Yes, absolutely. Being that most of us are stuck upregulated, it is something that is uh, going to allow us to downregulate. And your stress response, a great depictor of what state you're in, is your heart rate. And the way you breathe will immediately affect your heart rate. And not only will it affect your heart rate, it'll affect your performance. Because if you look at, let's just say something that we can all do, let's say a, like a, a puzzle game like chess, or not a puzzle game, but a, a, a mental game. If I have two elite level chess players and one of those chess players can breathe however they want, and I can choose how one, obviously boring, I'm not saying just hold your breath. I get to pick their breathing pattern. I can guarantee if they're of similar skill, I can guarantee if you allow me to manipulate one of their breathing patterns, I can make them lose because they won't be able to function properly. Interesting. And yeah, because your breath is communicating with your body and your mind. I, I like to say that the way that you communicate with your mind and your body to your soul is through your breath. Mm. And you can tell yourself positive talk all you want. We're fine. I'm going to be great. I'm going to be awesome. Everything's fine. I'm safe. I'm peaceful. But if you're breathing like this, I'm calm. I'm safe. I'm, I'm, I'm not panicking. I'm not panicking. But you're breathing in a way you're panicking. Yeah. You're going, your body, your body's going to go, what is coming after us? Rightfully so, because you're going to be upregulated. You're going to start releasing cortisol because your body thinks we have to run from something or fight. We're in a sympathetic state. So if you breathe rapidly, you're going to go into a sympathetic state. Now, here's the thing. If you're not breathing with your diaphragm, you're going to be breathing rapidly because if you look at it in terms of like, if you're rowing a boat, when you're breathing with a lower body breath, I like to call it. Put your uh, uh, left hand in your chest and your right hand on your belly and take like five breaths like you're sprinting, like, like, like all out breathing. If you're breathing and the majority of that movement is with your left hand, your top hand, you're breathing in a, in a way that's going to always be a fight or flight response because you're using your auxiliary muscles your helper muscles. Auxiliary comes from a Latin term, helper. Helper meaning they should not be the main muscles. Your diaphragm, which will be uh, if you touch your sternum and then you grab it under your ribs, don't hurt yourself, but you can like dig in. The, uh, the intercostal muscles are holding ribs together, designed like all the other muscles to have dexterity and strength and go all the way around your diaphragm, splitting your entire body in half. And this diaphragm, when you breathe with it, it allows you to access your full range of stress response. If you breathe rapidly with the diaphragm, you can kick that fight or flight so you can upregulate. You need to be able to upregulate sometimes. But here's the thing. If you're not breathing with the diaphragm, you are stuck in that. You will not be able to take a truly deep breath. So that means you will breathe more often because uh, if you look at it back to what I was trying to say before, uh, in terms of rowing a boat, if you're breathing uh, up into your chest, 
you're going to be skidding the oars on top of the water. And we all know incredible athletes, incredible, you know, people are incredibly adaptable. So you might be a great rower. <laughs> you might be great at everything you're doing, skidding those oars over the top of the water and not truly digging in. But imagine how efficient and how much more productive you can be if you actually dip those oars into the water appropriately, into the proper depth. And now you can find a rhythm uh, with it. Now, here's the thing. It'll be harder to propel the boat, you know, when you dig the oars deeper in the water, but you'll go way faster. You'll be way more efficient with your energy if you're able to do that. So that's breathing with the diaphragm, getting your oars into the water the appropriate amount. We can do that by ensuring when you take those breaths, make sure that bottom hand is moving the most. And this is at a rested state. When you guys are, you know, let's say we have any athletes out there who are going all out, just breathe as hard as you possibly can. You know, you're going to be using your auxiliary, you're going to be using your diaphragm. Diaphragm is responsible for two things, breathing and posture. So when you're standing up, it's actually in my system, what we call paradoxical breather, meaning that you uh, when you inhale, your belly button goes towards your spine. Uh, and when you uh, exhale, it, the belly button goes away. They'll get paradoxical breather. You're breathing the, the, the wrong way. Where you want to inhale and your belly button runs away from the spine. And then exhale and your belly button comes towards the spine. The easiest way to do that is take posture out of the picture. Take a, a yoga block or your phone or whatever you want. Line your back. Inhale, raise the object. Exhale, sink the object. Try to get a kinesthetic awareness of what that feels like. And now you're going to uh, be breathing the way that your body's designed to. And now you have the full range of your stress response at your disposal. You need to calm down. You can calm down. You can downregulate. You need to upregulate. Cool. Breathe faster. And the world is yours. So interesting. I could say so much about all that you said. In fact, I went paddle boarding this summer in Hawaii with my family and I was trailing way behind and they're like, mom, stop skimming the top of the water with your paddle, like get it deep down into the water to get you going. Yeah. And so I get your analogy. So that's great. So you're saying with your breathing at all times, if we're not active in sports, so walking mm -hmm. around the house, cooking dinner, sitting and doing homework, sitting in class, watching TV, we should always be using our diaphragm with blowing our belly button out and then back in as we're releasing the air, correct? Absolutely. If you look at any five-year-old before that, Dr. Belisa Brannett, I read her book, like a 14-day simple revolutionary way to you know, change your life, and it did. So I have hyperaction disorder. As I'm reading this book, I'm, I'm also practicing the exercises and whatnot. Uh, it's very difficult for me to read. I can usually read like two or three pages <laughs> at a clip without going you know, off into the clouds. When I realized, I'm like, I'm reading for 45 minutes, reading, you know, 20, 30, 40 pages at a time. This book is so interesting that it overrides my ADHD. And that is true. It is that interesting. But it's more than that. I was practicing the methods. So mm. what was happening is that I was actually breathing with my diaphragm. So I wasn't in a sympathetic state. So my already hyperactive brain was allowed to downregulate because I was doing what I just said before, lie on your back, do that. I would read a page and go, oh, let me try that. Yes, I am very interested in the book. And that is, you know, why I was able to read so long. But I'm actually the ruler of my nervous system response. I down-regulated via my breath. So I was able to read and focus more. The reason we don't breathe like this naturally is from sitting in chairs. And this is a, an incredible like thing. It blows my mind. If I say, this is a common term, it's a household expression. Suck in that. Suck in that suck gut. Suck in that gut. Yep. Suck in that gut. You yep. might as well be telling someone, hey, take a breath that is going to create chronic levels of cortisol, 
uh, increase anxiety, create a unrealistic expectation of what your body should look like, and make you insecure about breathing in a way that's going to enhance every single thing that you do. Because when you inhale, you should have a full belly. If you have a six-pack, when you have an inhale, you should not have a six-pack. It should be a full breath. And uh, especially having a, a daughter now, it really is on the forefront of my mind that like this unhealthy expectation of what women's waistlines look like, it's unsettling. Well, okay, let me ask you this. Do most people breathe incorrectly? Yes. Okay, so most of us are breathing incorrectly. So if we were to swap to using our diaphragm and pushing that belly button out for our breath and then back in, would that just automatically put people in the parasympathetic nervous system? Yes, absolutely. It would. Now, here's the thing about human beings. Our strengths are also our weaknesses, just like, you know, many things in life. So our resilience, resilience, uh, another word for resilience is stubbornness, you know, or a part of, of being resilient is stubborn. So it, unless you educate yourself on like back to the empower your how with your why, how are we going to do this? You must research and empower that why you have to empower that why we are incredibly nuanced thinkers human beings are incredible never never uh, underestimate or undersell yourself even if you don't think you're a deep thinker you are a deep thinker so if you are just going and saying i'm just going to breathe in my belly you're not you must empower why are you breathing with your belly what is happening know know yourself know know the body know know that get to know the diaphragm get to know your stress management muscle and get to know why society has tricked you into taking a civilized breath. Because up until the age of five and a half, if you look at all children, all animals, you'll see that belly open up. Mm-hmm. Think about a toddler, you see taking a big, you know, they say, oh, look at the little, little beer belly, uh, the toddlers. It's like, yeah, they're breathing right. And who is more in the moment and in how they're supposed to be feeling than, than, than a baby, a four-year-old, they, you know, and a five and a half, is when we lose it. And five and a half is when we become social creatures and go to school and sit in desks. Mm. And it's very difficult to sit in a desk and breathe in a mechanically sound, anatomically congruent manner. And uh, the way to override that is through breathing exercises or breath work. And you can be someone like me who gets totally obsessed with it and does, you know, 10 to 30 minutes of breathing exercises a day. It's my meditation, it's my exercise. Or you can be someone who just takes two minutes, five minutes, a couple times a week and just checks in with yourself and, and go goes within and try to do your best to, you know, just shut off full language and work on that breathing mechanics and that breathing form. That would be breath work. Okay, so I have a question for you because just last week I was talking to someone and they were like, oh, I hate all this stuff about breath work because I can never remember like how long I'm supposed to hold it, how long I'm supposed to exhale it for, or if I'm supposed to breathe in through the nose or out through the nose. And they're like, it's just too much, it's too overwhelming. So. We could just start with what you said of just breathing properly and that would help a ton and that would help a ton of people. And then if they wanted to learn other techniques, there are other techniques out there that could be beneficial, correct? There is not a one size fits all. Listen, my stuff works for me. Majority of it is from Dr. Belisa Veranich. It changed my life. It changed my uh, ability to cope with my uh, ADHD and uh, you know various other you know things that uh, I've dealt with in life. But Wim Hof like screams it all the time. He's got a bunch of shirts. He's like breathe. It really is just that. Just focus on the breathing. And 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 when all else fails, take an object, put it on your belly, lie on your back. Rising on the inhale, sinking on the exhale. Now think about what that looks like when you're standing and, re- and repeat that. Have your belly, belly button runs away from the spine on the inhale, goes towards the spine on the exhale. 
Now you, you're, you're breathing mechanically sound, anatomically congruent manner. Relax the jaw, relax the shoulders, lower body breath. Think about an Irish step dancer. You know how like all you yep. can see, no movement up top whatsoever. That's how you want to breathe uh, with, with the belly. You want the belly to come out. So it shouldn't look like this. It should look like this. The thing about it is that life is going to happen. Uh, we have devices that we carry with us that allow us to see uh, catastrophic things happen all around the world. And there's nothing more amazing than human beings and passion, compassion, and always feel for people and send love and send you know positivity. Feel that, but also be aware that if you're not selfish first, you can't be selfless. So if you don't take care of what's going on in your body, and you look up and you see you know a natural disaster or a bombing or, or whatever across the world know that it's it's going to affect your breathing and you're going to start breathing in, in in creating the vicious cycle of anxiety and bad breathing bad breathing causes uh, anxiety anxiety causes bad breathing so first things first take inventory and if you see yourself or feel anxiety put your hand in your chest is there movement in the chest on the inhale if there is you're creating more anxiety creating that chronic level of cortisol we were talking about so Put one hand on the belly, move that, put that movement there. And then eventually you'll be able to do it without the hands. So when you're standing in line with the convenience store, you're at work, nobody's going to know what you're doing. You're just, but you in your own head, in your own, in your own castle, in your own, you are harnessing the superpower of the breath, allowing yourself to downregulate. And then once you can do that, you're invigorated and you can be kind to everyone around you. And because and if you're not good on the inside, you're not going to be able to do that. Okay. So that all makes sense. So is there a benefit though to holding your breath and is there a benefit to exhaling longer? Absolutely. There's, there's a benefit to both. So exhaling longer, generally speaking, is going to be a parasympathetic. So exhales are down-regulating, inhales are up-regulating. And this mm. comes from uh, how much pressure uh, you're creating inside your body. So when you're inhaling, the diaphragm will flatten out. It's called thoracic excursion. It creates a sucking force and will bring air in. It will increase the uh, size of your thoracic cavity and you'll suck air in. So your heart will have more space. And when your heart has more space, it'll have a greater uh, amount of blood go through with less pressure. And when you exhale, the diaphragm will go back up and there will be more pressure in the heart. So there'll be increased pressure. So your body will, your mind will read that. When you exhale, it will say your heart will uh, want to beat slower. And when you inhale, your heart will want to beat faster. Mm. So if you want to upregulate, inhale more, <laughs> double inhales potentially. And if you want to downregulate, elongate the exhales, the longer the exhales, the more parasympathetic. And uh, interesting. Um, a, a really cool way if you guys want to practice, like a, a, and you can make this your own, but a way to utilize this uh, skill is uh, a paced breath, is Dr. Belise's uh, paced breath. Inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for six, hold for two. Take your heart rate before and after, your heart rate will be lower after you do this. So is that your favorite technique for if somebody's put in a stressful situation, which we all are on a daily basis, say we're taking a test, we're going to go present something at work. While we're taking the test, let's say, is that mm -hmm. your favorite technique? The inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for six? Or is there a better one? So you're upregulated. And so if, if you ever go up to a person who is angry or, you know, let's just say stressed out. And, and let's say I say, hey, calm down. 
it's not a good thing to do. I'm not validating your feeling, not validating what is happening to you. I'm basically saying you shouldn't be upregulated right now. You should be calm. But, you know, you're an intelligent human being. You, you feeling how you feel. So what you want to do is put yourself in the driver's seat of your stress response. So what we're going to do is upregulate. First, meet that. Put yourself in the driver's seat of stress. And then we're going to do that paced breath. And we're going to downregulate. So what I would want everybody to do is try this. And if you have, you know, extreme panic disorder or panic uh, attacks, I would definitely consult with uh, a doctor before you do this. But, if, you know, if you are, don't have any health conditions, what I want her to do is to inhale, inhale again powerfully, and then exhale. And you can do it through the mouth just because we want to upregulate. And this is breath words and I should always breathe. And do that for about 20 to 30 seconds powerfully, like as hard as you can. And you're going to upregulate. You're going to increase your heart rate and you're going to put yourself in what I call it in the driver's seat of stress. So after you upregulate and meet that energy, you're not saying to the person, calm down with your breath. It would be like going up to someone and saying like, hey, why don't we run a mile and then we'll think about coming down. Or why don't we punch the punching bag for a little bit and then we'll think about coming down. So you're meeting the energy with the breath and then down regulating. You see this in the animal kingdom as well after like a cheetah or a dog sprints you see them shake like like because they know that energy can't go disappear it must be displaced you can only you know uh, reroute it so breathe powerfully breathe in powerfully breathing and then you go to that pace breath so so you you validate that energy you meet that energy and then you calm down whatever stressing you out is valid you know so Interesting. don't just say, I'm going to breathe calm now. It's like, it might not work. But if you upregulate, put yourself in the driver's seat of stress response. And then, uh, and this is different for everybody. Uh, I teach a 4462 because it's a starter. But what I actually practice is a 10, 10, 25. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's, it is not a one size fits all. So I implore everybody just to know that. Make your exhales longer and create your own rhythm. Create your own breath. Create yours. It might be a... Three, three, four, one. You know, it might be a 20, 20, whatever it is, but always use that rule. That's where human beings are saying exhales, downregulate, inhales, upregulate. So elongate the exhale and you will downregulate. That's really good advice. And I like how you simplified it and people can do their own amount because I could never do 25 right now, but with practice, maybe I could get to 25. So I love all of that advice. So now I'm curious. With On Survivor, you must have used your breath work. Did you use breath work before challenges? How did this play a role in Survivor? I've done breath work up until Survivor for probably like about five years, uh, you know, uh, three years, like every day. I knew that I was going to be doing breath work out in Survivor. I knew it was going to be a huge advantage. I knew it was going to be something that would give me a lot of clarity. I thought and was very comfortable with the fact that I was going to be the weirdo breathing on the beach by himself, like, I thought I was going to be that guy. I, thought, I was actually a little afraid it might ostracize me. And people were like, what? You know, what's his deal going over there and breathing powerfully? But never judge a book by its cover, especially Survivor. They get so many cool people. Uh, I was going to do my breathing. Immediately, Franny comes over and Franny practices breath work. Not only Franny practices, for those of you who don't know, Franny was on my tribe in Survivor. And she is a challenge beast and absolute incredible human being we actually just did breath work workshop together oh fun uh, and she would come over and practice Wim Hof breathing with me and different breath work breathing exercises I worked from Dr. Belisa Ramage and eventually the whole tribe did and we all did breath work and we all cried 
and we all, you know, uh, especially fasted when you breathe, when you do breath work fasted, oh, you can tap into like another galaxy. And it's like, uh, I talked about it on the show and like, I know it sounds hippy dippy and I know it sounds like it doesn't make sense, but feeling is learning. And if you try it, it'll make sense. If you do breath work and practice, you know, just breathing powerfully and trying to shut your mind off where you're doing it properly or improperly, it doesn't matter. And if you just breathe, you can tap into another dimension. Oh, that's awesome. But I'm curious before challenges, did it help give you endurance for those? It absolutely did. There's a book, uh, Breathe Strong, Perform Better by uh, Professor Allison McConnell. If you do breath work before, it'll be called like acute advantages and chronic advantages. So you could increase your uh, physical output and endurance by doing breath work before athletic endeavors. And it increases your, uh, your output and your ability to uh, utilize your alveoli. There's a, a liquid in alveoli. Alveoli is a sac in your lungs that, uh, where gas change takes place. It's, it's called surfactant. Surfactant is uh, just like many things in life is perishable. Not perishable, but if you use it, it will be accessible. And when you don't use it, it makes your alveoli more likely to uh, collapse. The surfactant is the liquid that allows them to stay open. So if you look at your alveoli like this, and if you're constantly using your alveoli, like through something like a breath work, they're more accessible. But when you get fatigued and you're breathing, your alveoli have a tendency to collapse on themselves, but they're less likely to collapse on themselves if you do breath work before because that surfactant is present. So if you use the alveoli, it'll be uh, more efficient. And if you don't use the alveoli, it'll be less efficient. So interesting. There is so much about breath work that we could talk about. I mean, we haven't even touched the surface, I feel like, because I know breath work is awesome for meditation, but then also depression, anxiety, you know, mood issues, anger, all sorts of things that we could talk more about, but we're getting to our hour here. So I'm going to wrap things up. I am so curious to know on Survivor, this has nothing to do with breath work, but when you watch the show Survivor, you probably know you're always like, no, no, don't align with them. No, they're, no, you yeah. shouldn't do that. And <laughs> you're always like, why can't you see this? Like, why aren't you using your idol? Now that you see Survivor after being on it, are you like, oh yeah, I understand them a little bit more. Yeah, it's really hard to see when you're in the midst of it, what everybody else can see on TV. Has your perception of Survivor changed a little bit? Absolutely. I always had a great respect for the show. I thought, just like most people, that like at some point they're going to be like, all right, guys, here's a granola bar. <laughs> like or something. And it is totally legit. They don't like manipulate anything. You are, they don't speak to you. You talk to your tribe and Jeff, and that's it. And watching it unfold, you know, on the show and seeing all like the, the nuances of what's happening, when you're in it, it's like you're connecting with human beings. And so you kind of lose track of like the fact that like everybody has a motive. Everybody is trying to win the show. And by win the show, that means beating you. So it's very easy to disconnect from that and um, to forget, you know, you guys, these are your tribe mates. Like I'm super close with all of them to this day. And like from uh, the interactions we had while competing against each other. So while you're in it, yeah, it's definitely very difficult to kind of keep your eye on the prize while you're you're in the midst of making these beautiful connections and, and also it's like one of those things where like you're playing with human emotion you can't use ai like you can't there's no formula where you can figure this out there's no equation it's not like if you a equals b c squared it's like no these human emotion you don't know somebody at the very last minute can be 100 percent on your side and then just go yeah actually no now i'm gonna vote against you and there's no way of knowing and that's the beautiful nature of the show so would you say that was the most surprising thing is when someone voted against someone else that you weren't seeing? 
No, you know, to be honest, I got very fortunate. I got surprised by like one vote, but I, I was actually pretty in tune. I could luck of the draw that I was pretty accurate. Even like when I went home, I knew I was going against Carson, who is a NASA genius, incredible human being, but also like an assassin of a player. <laughs> so I knew like I'm going for him. It's kill or be killed. And I knew that either I'm getting him or he's getting me. Like he's on to me. I know he's on to me. It's just a matter of, did I manipulate the people who I wanted to get on my side well enough? And I did not. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, I could ask you a ton of questions about Survivor too, but why don't you tell my listeners where they can find you? Because like I said, we've just barely touched the surface of Breathwork. And so where could they come find you to learn more about it? Oh, cool. Yeah, thanks so much. I have a YouTube, Breathe In with Danny. And my uh, Instagram, Breathing with Danny, I breathingwithdanny.com. I do workshops. I do them like all over the country and sometimes Canada, but uh, mainly around like the New York area. And I am uh, going to be releasing a video course uh, uh, soon. And that's going to be used to try to, uh, you know, I want to give everybody something free so you can see what I'm about. And then I'm going to be using that to uh, try to market my Patreon and uh, do a uh, breathwork, like a subscription-based thing and have people touch in with me and, and have a consistent breathwork routine that uh, they do alongside with me. And uh, yeah, that's where they can find me. Oh, that's awesome. That's needed in this world, especially as stress is getting worse and worse, I feel like. So that's awesome. I always end my podcast with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. What would you say it is? The best ingredients for life is to go within and be selfish to empower your selfless endeavors. I love that. I'm going to like write that down somewhere. Oh, thank you. Put it as a quote somewhere. That's a great quote because... It's so important to be selfless and to help others and show our compassion to others. I think we're missing a lot of that in this world, but we do have to heal ourselves first and take care of ourselves so that we can give that love and passion to others. So thank you. If you can't, uh, if you can't swim, you can't rescue someone from drowning. That's true. That is a great analogy. Well, thank you so much for being here and taking the time. I know the listeners have learned so much. I learned a ton. You guys go find him on YouTube and follow him and check out his courses. And thank you again so much, Danny, for being here. Oh, it's an honor. Thank you so much. It's so cool. Uh, I always get nervous for these things and you made it very uh, easy to talk to. Thank you. Oh, well, good. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.